Hello, and welcome to Good Selling Radio, podcasts for sales professionals looking for peak performance. GSR shares ways to make new and existing customer relationships easier, more effective, and more enjoyable. In a changing and busy sales world, take some time to stop for a moment and reflect, reframe, and refocus. So welcome to this episode of Good Selling Radio, where we're going to be exploring the fascinating subject of sales compensation. I think we would all recognize that there's an inextricable link between reward and result. People do what they feel they're going to be rewarded for. But it's never as simple as that, is it? What you'll find from this podcast is you'll get the chance to see the context, but also the process and the practicalities of what it means to reward and compensate sales professionals in a changing world. There are a lot of people who talk about sales compensation, but there are few people who can do it in the way that John does. I'm going to be talking to John Clark, the uh, Director of Sales Compensation at Sales Levers, about his experience of making this work in practice. Our observation is that while on the one hand there are quite a lot of people who say they understand sales strategy and contribute to that. They don't deeply understand the uh, intensities of sales compensation. And then there are some compensation specialists out there who don't understand the idiosyncrasies of sales. Mm -hmm. And is unusual in that he brings those those two things together. Uh, You may be thinking sales compensation, that sounds complicated and it sounds expensive. Well, you could be right, but you aren't necessarily right. And we'll be helping you see how this can be done in a way that's appropriate to your business and your world. What we'd really urge you to do is to, uh, as so often in these podcasts, to refocus, to think again about what you're doing and possibly reframe the way that you're doing things. We're buying you time to reflect about your sales compensation approach and is it fit for purpose for the rapidly and radically changing world that we're all part of. So I'm going to turn to to John here and uh, really pick up on a number of themes. And I guess the the starting point, I mean, you know, John, I'm passionate about start with why. Um, (laughs) Why? Well, it's a good starting point. (laughs) Why should we do this? Why should we be concerned about sales compensation? Well, Thank you for the intro, Richard, and it's good to be part of Sales Levers. And uh, I'd like to start by setting the scene uh, in terms of why sales incentives, because you may think, well, you've hired a salesperson, they need an incentive plan. Um, And you're right, it is complex. And the key thing here is uh, you do get what you reward for. Um, So incentives is about driving differential effort but it's driving it in the right direction um, and motivating the salesperson to deliver what you need. So ultimately that's the selling of services or products to your existing or target customers. And their view of you is critical um, in terms of your success as a business and in terms of how you're perceived. So motivating the seller um, is, is clear in terms of, what what you need to do, but it's in the right way. Uh, and, and you're right, there is complexity in that. 
what I'd also say is that uh, cash is only one element that motivates seller. So it sort of depends what environment they're in. You know, if they're selling uh, phone contracts, um, then maybe that's the only thing they're thinking of. It's a job. They get paid once a month and that's it. Um, but if they're selling long, complex uh, contracts for software and services, then that's, that's maybe a different construct for them. And there are other elements of reward that you need to bear in mind. First of all, you know, base pay and the base pay uh, relationship with, with variable pay. There's also career progression. So there's also the culture, uh, really, really important at the moment. Uh, so people need to enjoy their work, enjoy the, the, the company that they're in, the people they're working with. Um, there are lots of elements of reward, but clearly if variable pay incentive design is not working, then that's the biggest demotivator that you can have. Uh, and that's, that's critical. Uh, I think the other element here is, is about the company and, and, the, and cost control. So a big thing about having sales incentives uh, is that there's a variable element of cost that is dependent on success. Now, if you're a growing business where it's really, really important to remain profitable, uh, then cost of the, uh, is really, really important. Um, so uh, if you align your incentive plan to, to strategy uh, and the top line, uh, you can control costs then, that means you also mo you motivate the salesperson, but you also uh, build some robustness and rigidity into uh, into the company uh, finances. I think the other thing to bear in mind around motivation is it's not just about the incentive plan. So the incentive plan is critical because the salesperson needs to understand it. They need to understand what they're going to get for what you're asking them to deliver. Uh, but there's also the issue of quotas and targets. There's also the issue of, of account portfolio and territory. So the salesperson will look at the comp plan and say, yeah, that makes sense to me. I can see what I'm going to get, but my quota is completely out of reach. You put a threshold in at 80%. Um, I'm highly unlikely to reach it. Why, why should I invest any time uh, in trying to deliver my target? It's completely out of reach. You, you might have the situation also that the, the seller will look at the comp plan and say, yep, that, look, that looks great. My quota looks fine. But the accounts that you've given me, I have no earthly chance of creating that level of net profitability from the accounts that, you, that you've given me. Um, or if I'm a new business uh, seller, um, the territory that you've given me is completely saturated, but you've given me a massive target. It doesn't fit together. So... There's a concept of a three-legged stool here where incentives, quotas, and territories are all part of the picture. So they have to marry up. Um, so sales incentives are critical, but don't forget about the other elements as well. It's really interesting what you're saying about uh, sales incentives as a way of managing cost. I guess also of managing cash, I think, in the move mm -hmm. uh, away from episodic selling to recurring income. Uh, mm -hmm. And in a changing world, we need to be thinking about, about how that plays out. Uh, I'm very struck by your point about motivation. Of course, we recognize that uh, you know, there are plenty of people who are motivated by money. I think my introduction to this subject was uh, hearing a very growly uh, sales manager 
uh, with cowboy boots on, sitting at the back of a <laughs> seminar that was running in Philadelphia, and he growled, uh, yeah, you're right, Richard. Uh, yeah, all my reps are coin-operated, uh, which was, uh, was, was a great <laughs> phrase. But then, on the other hand, I was working only this week with a, a professional services uh, team who were was saying that their real motivation is meeting their clients' needs mm. and serving their clients. Mm -hmm. So I guess there's, a, there's a continuum and on uh, the extent to which the comp plan and the financial elements of the comp plan tie into wider motivation. And we talk about that motivation in some of our other podcasts. Yeah, yeah, we do. And, and I, think you, I think you're dead right. There is a continuum between the, the degree to which the incentive makes the difference um, in terms of company success. So, you know, if you have this professional services company where what's really motivating them is not the money, then don't put them on a 50-50 comp plan where you've got so much money at risk um, because it's money wasted. You know, you can, you can have the, the strong relationship with the, with the buyer um, and you can have a very happy sales force without throwing lots of money at it. Very good. Um, I'm intrigued by what you said earlier about the link between compensation mm. and strategy mm. so can we just turn to explore uh, this whole this whole link about the importance of understanding your sales strategy uh, mm. before you design your your comp plan yeah i mean i think there are there are a couple of um, basic constructs here one is about how companies grow um, you know, so from from young growing organisations through to mature organisations through to differentiated organisations, and and how you reflect uh, the comp plan in that progression, and then it's also how companies respond to changing strategies. So, you know, you might have the situation where a company has grown by acquisition, uh, and it's quite happy for those acquired companies to to work under the old premise, be separate brands. Do, uh, have their own sales incentive plan. But at, one, at some point, the company will start to realise that they can actually be more successful by realising the synergies of all the, the acquired companies. So uh, a, a, a sales force that can sell multiple products is going to be more successful, uh, cross-selling uh, into different organisations within the wider brand. So You've got a natural progression, but then you've also got specific situations. And, and what I would contrast is uh, the young, growing startup business um, where what it's looking to do is build profile, build revenue, not necessarily being immediately profitable, um, ultimately profitable. But what it's trying to do is, is build its profile. And what the comp plan then needs to do is incentivize sellers to sell, sell the right business, but not necessarily be negotiating uh, wide discounts. Um, therefore, what you'll see in the comp plan is something that's focused on rewarding revenue. Um, contrast that with a company that is more mature. It's, it's built its profile in the market. It's looking to become more profitable. Uh, I see lots of comp plans where it's still revenue that is being driven. Uh, so sell at any cost rather than sell profitable business. Uh, and, and most companies that grow will reach a point where they switch out of revenue to net profit as being the main measure for awarding. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at roles and coverage models later because it depends on what you're asking salespeople to do. But um, 
that that's a critical switch as you grow as a business. And then the situation that you've got is companies diversify. You know, they create new products, they grow into different territories. Um, and at that point, you're looking for incentivizing the salesperson to put some focus on selling particular products. And what you'll find within comp plans is you, you may have a, a number of measures in there, one of which will be a specific focus on, on new products. Um, and that means that the comp plan needs to uh, adjust and grow as the business adjusts and grows. And do, do you have any, any examples of um, how that works in, in particular um, about, for instance, one of the things that strikes me is that if you've got people working more as a team, mm. um, how, you, how you encourage that, but how you split, split the revenue. Have you got any examples of that? Yeah, so the, the, there's a great example, um, and it's a, it, it's a software business. And what it was looking to do was launch a new uh, product in the market and launch into new territories. Um, but what it had was a number of product owners who were keen to retain control for that product and be incentivized on any sales of sale of that product. Balance that with a number of uh, account managers. Um, and so what the situation was that um, they had a credit system where there'd be a 50-50 split of credit for, for any sale of these products or into these new territories. And what the product manager would do, say, well, I think I can sell, I can be more successful just selling on my own. I've got the relationships already. I don't need to involve the account manager. I'll just go and sell it. And what they were finding was that they were losing business because um, the account manager wasn't involved. The customer didn't see the full team. So what they said was for uh, three different situations, we will over-incentivize. So we'll split 150% of the credit rather than 100% of the credit. And what that meant was the light bulb went on and the product seller and the account manager got together and sold more effectively uh, into existing clients with that new product. Uh, very, very simple. Um, I think you'd probably say that the finance director would swallow hard at that one. <laughs> double counting and uh, putting too much money in the hand of the uh, hand of these uh, these greedy sales salespeople. Uh, but really, really interesting to see how that how that ties in. Uh, I mean, it also picks up very strongly on what you what you said earlier about the uh, alignment with the strategy. And in, mm -hmm. in so I'm thinking back to a, a building products company that we we work with where they were restructuring. But I do recall mm. the um, this strange conversation where at the end of the year, the FD was saying, great job, everybody. Uh, mm. We've hit all our targets. It's been a highly successful year. Uh, and the sales team were kind of looking around at each other saying, well, if we've been <laughs> so successful, why haven't you paid us more money? And of course, yes. there was a alignment between uh, a corporate strategy that was focused on mm. EBITDA and a sales compensation scheme that was focused on uh, revenue. So there was a, a real tension there that uh, I know you were instrumental in, in realigning. And then there was also another tension, which was um, back to this team and individual. Mm. Uh, they were trying to get people 
to take more individual responsibility, but the old structure wasn't, uh, or the, the old compensation structure mm. wasn't helping them do that. So, so I absolutely buy in um, to that point about kind of the strategy. It also begs a question about then how you you don't just reflect have a compensation scheme that reflects your own internal strategy, but mm. one re which reflects the external market. So absolutely, yeah. What experience have you got in that space? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at particular sectors, then um, external change has played a, a big part in um, in say the financial services industry. Um, so I've worked with a number of companies in that space, including uh, a foreign exchange dealer. And you know, this is a situation where the best sellers, the most successful sellers could earn 10 times their base pay. Um, now, clearly, the post, post the crash of 2008-9, uh, the Financial Conduct Authority and European Banking Authorities looked at incentive plans and said, this is not in the best interests of the customer. And it's a strong point about putting the customer first in, in, in sales incentives design. There's, there's another point that I'd like to pick up. But in, in this situation, the company, uh, the, well, the whole sector as a, as, as a whole has moved towards far more compliant, less aggressive incentives design. But it's something like FX dealing. That's a, you know one end of the continuum in terms of what people could earn in the past. And therefore, the business had to make a, a strategic decision about how quickly it aligned with, with new guidelines from the FCA whilst remaining competitive for talent um, and almost changing the culture. And the degree to which incentive design is reflective of co company culture is a really strong point, but it did mean that the business was looking to implement team-based, an element for team-based sales, uh, revenue rather than profitability, some subjectivity in terms of wider qualitative um, behaviors that the sales force was demonstrating. So here's an external pressure creating change uh, in an industry. Um, and we'll, we'll come on to another an example, a slightly different context later. I think it, it really reflects and very interesting to see how uh, changing external drivers are changing internal cultures, mm -hmm. how compensation can either um, disengage people from that change and work against the desired change or can foster the desired change. I think there's something very particularly interesting about what the how the change in buyer behavior and mm. buyer expectations yes. yeah. doing. Um, what what do we want the sellers of the future to do? I mean, arguably you know, we want them to turn into um, people who are able to be trusted advisors are able to be involved in early stage concept and, and contact mm -hmm. try and get the, the customer to accept even the, the need for change rather than those who are involved in mm -hmm. late stage by my shiny toy rather than someone else's shiny toy thinking. So how do you see the that that change in the role of the seller and the uh, the whole selling culture? being affected and affecting sales compensation yeah it, it it is it is critical and there's lots of research that um puts the the buyer preference at, at the center of selling success you know so um the cso insights has generated a lot of data around successful selling and and one of the conclusions that, that has come 
come to is that um, the more uh, closely aligned the seller is with the customer, the most, the, the, the more effective, the more successful selling is. So the more you understand your customer, understand how they want to buy, uh, what they want to buy. Um, so creating a solution for them rather than just focused on the shiny toys that you might have in your, you know, in, in your, you know, sell your wares sort of thing. Um, the, the better. And the, the other is the uh, degree of engagement with the customer through the process. Now, if you're just selling a, a phone contract, that's a different proposition to if you're selling a, a five-year complex software services deal. Um, and therefore, the degree of uh, engagement with the customer is different. But the principle is the same. You know, understand who's buying and align yourself closely uh, with, with the customer and what their preferences are. Um, so there are there are a couple of uh, things that that really strike me as well in terms of something like life sciences, where buying behaviour has changed uh, over the last ten years. So previously, you would have companies that were aligned by product, so sales forces that go out and sell products to customers, with the situation that you know you could potentially have five people from the same uh, company in the reception room of a customer at the same time because they're not joined up. Now, the customer wants to buy a lot of products, but they don't want to buy from lots of different people. Um, and if you look at life sciences and something like you know the NHS, which is a massive buyer of, of drugs and, and equipment, they, they buy in, in consortia. So um, uh, organizations of the NHS, NHS get together uh, and, they, and their trusts get together and they buy as a group. Uh, and one person can't sell effectively across that range of product. So uh, you need a team to sell to a consortia of buyers. And that's a far more complex selling process than it used to be. So the, the customer's changed, the sales force has to change to, to match and be successful. Do you see from flowing from that, say the difference between um, the kind of market that requires um, maybe higher volume, smaller customers as to um, higher value, um, smaller number of customers. Yeah, so so if you you know contrast the two uh, extremes, um, so you might have a selling environment where you're selling one or two key accounts. You're only going to make two sales a year. They're large sales. They're mature products. Um, it's a conservative buyer. What does that tell you about the pay mix that's required for that seller? So you don't want a, an aggressive, energetic, in-your-face sales approach. You want somebody who's nurturing the client, building relationships. Um, the, the, the sale matters, but what you want is a particular type of behavior. So what, what that lends you to do is say, well, you know, if you, if you make the, the money at risk too high, you're going to get the wrong behavior from the salesperson. You know, so you might work at an 80 20 uh, pay mix, and that'll encourage the sort of behavior that, that you want. Contrast that with a small, growing organization, new product, new market. Um, you need a, a very competitive environment as well. You need salespeople who are very energetic, very assertive, very agile. So if you look at the appropriate pay mix in that environment. If it's 80-20, then 
then if the 80% pays for the mortgage and a holiday, why is a salesperson going to make too much effort? You make it more 50-50 and therefore the 50% that's at risk through variable pay really does matter. Um, so that's a very, very simple example. But it, it, what it means, you, you have to look at how many sales you're making, what the environment is, what the importance of personal persuasion is, for example. And then that translates into how you design the uh, comp plan. Interesting stuff there. And I guess it also ties into the changing issues of hybrid selling, where we've got uh, more of an emphasis on remote selling and uh, mm. inside sales coming into yes. play. Uh, yeah. and, and team selling, which I suppose brings us to this idea of different ways of rewarding uh, different roles and also mm. um, almost the structural issues of how compensation ties into, into coverage models, uh, yes. where I know we're seeing a lot of people rethinking their coverage model. Uh, how, you know, how should we be working? Is it a 65% remote, 35% face-to-face mm. or whatever it may be? Um, so how does sales compensation and organizational change in the sales function tie together? Yeah, there, there are some specific examples here which, which I'd like to, uh, to talk through, but um, there are a number of potential roles in, in the sales force and how those fit together is really important. So we'll be, we'll be looking at clarity and simplicity in comp design, but there also needs to be clarity in role design. Uh, and the behaviours that you want. So if you think about the end-to-end the -end sales process through from um, you know, acquiring a new logo through to renewing uh, a contract, mm -hmm. that could be quite a complex process, but it has various steps in it. Your, your point about you know, hybrid roles, can, can a, a role cover all of those challenges through uh, acquiring a new business, managing that account, upselling within the account, renewing the contract. That's quite a challenge for, for a mindset. Um, and when you're a small business, you just have to wear different hats. It's, it's a fact of life. You can't afford too many salespeople. But as you grow and you differentiate and you're able to uh, recruit specialist roles in sales, then you can differentiate the hunter team from the account manager team the contract renewals team, the lead generation team, and, and so on. Um, and the way in which those different uh, roles work together is, is vital to join up the sales process and make sure that the client has a seamless experience. So, so one, one example here uh, is, uh, again, a, a software and services business. But what, what you had was a situation where the account manager, ostensibly responsible for sales, was really just focused and incentivized around new business. The professional services team, or the client success team, uh, was uh, incentivized around uh, account revenue. Um, and there was a specialist contract renewals team that was just focused on uh, renewing accounts and, and contracts. Um, now, what, what, we, what we did was we looked at the situation for that business and it was under pressure in terms of market share. So what it required was growth in terms of uh, market and it also needed to preserve uh, its accounts, 
and grow accounts as well. So there was a, a new uh, hunter role that was created. Uh, some of the account managers had the skills to go into that role, some, some didn't. Um, the account manager became responsible for existing accounts, uh, underpinned by professional services who would get some credit for identifying new account growth opportunities. And the contract renewals team would be incentivized on contract renewals, but so would the account manager. So the account manager was involved in new business acquisitions. So there was a continual thread all the way through the sales process. But the specialists within that process were, were um, incentivized slightly differently, but in a joined up way. So there'd be split credit in terms of new business hunters and account managers. There'd be split credit in terms of contract renewals and account managers. So they could see that they got shared interest throughout that. And something like contract renewals does come up in insurance. It comes up in telecoms. It comes across in, in, in many organizations which are service, service provision. And uh, it's really important that for the client, the customer, that that bit of the process is not separate. It's, it's, it's the responsibility of people who they know. I can, I can see that. I suppose the question that comes in my mind, maybe with a commercial hat on, is how do we then avoid paying people for business that would have come in mm. anyway? So yes. I guess that could be the bluebird uh, sale that comes in for the new business person or the, the account manager who's just managed the status quo. And mm. there's always the belief that, well, even if she or he wasn't there, the business would have come in anyway. So why on earth are we paying them for, do, for doing stuff that they've got nothing to do with? Sure, sure. And um, a number of different scenarios you, you've highlighted there. One is uh, the account manager where through the contracts that they've signed, 80% of next year's business is already sold. You don't want to, you don't want to pay them out on that business twice. So you, you use a threshold and say, well, if, if you've got 80% of your business, which is already booked, um, there may be some erosion. So what we'll do is we'll set the threshold of your comp plan at 75%, which means that you've really got to go out and grow those accounts in order to get full reward from your comp plan. You're not going to get free money for the, for the business you've already sold. In the case of things like windfalls and bluebirds, it, it depends how big they are. So, you know, if you've got a quota, which is a, which is a, a million pounds and uh, the windfall comes in quarter to 750,000, you need a rule in there which says, we're gonna take that out of the comp plan and treat it differently so that people know, you know, you've got a quota which is in all good faith, we've done all our, our planning, we've done our calculation, this is a fair quota uh, based on how we think the market's gonna go. If you get something which is like a, a very large boulder in a very small pool, you need to treat it differently. Um, and the, the point about multiple crediting is, is, a, is a really strong one. So I, I did see one example where 41 people in the sales force were being credited for the same sale, even though some of them probably haven't even heard of it, you know, and, and it's because layers of sales management. So that sort of multiple crediting needs to be, uh, and the two ways of attacking that, one is to make sure that the quota that you set takes account of multiple crediting, um, or you split the credit. Uh, so either way will work. 
it just needs you just need to make sure that the government around it is fair well john thank you really interesting to hear about the impact of sales compensation on sales strategies and how you can make this all work in the second part of this interview we'll take a look at some of the processes the principles and practices of sales compensation but for now thank you very much Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, have questions or feedback, please leave a review and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you'd like to know more about how we can help you drive sales performance in these changing times, then please get in touch.